thinking of starting a podcast? Well, try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend, my co-host, you know him well, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, I feel like it's been millions of years since uh, the two of us have gotten on this pod to ramble on about the Cavs. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. The last time we spoke was right after the Donovan Mitchell trade, and uh, I feel like we both have time to digest. So, you know, we'll give much more rational opinions right now, like how Jetty should start at the three. (laughs) (laughs) You just won't let it go, man. You won't let it go. Oh, no, I let it go. (laughs) I let it go entirely. Oh, for sure. We've had time to digest just about everything about this trade. Um, We got to see Donovan Mitchell's introductory press conference. That was pretty dope. Uh, pretty awesome and I, I did a reaction to that I don't know if you saw that I know yep. you're busy a full uh, 51 minute pod <laughs> solo just like the Colin Cowards of the world <laughs> I was not sure if uh, if the Cavs would rip that down because technically I think that is probably not uh, not good because I did stream I did technically stream it uh, yeah. and then yeah then it uploaded it after so I don't know. They might come after me for that. <laughs> but then they saw your thumbnail of you looking like you're pondering some deep life questions on the YouTube page, which if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, and <laughs> they were like, you know what? They actually made fun of me for that. <laughs> I was just like, damn, Max just becoming a traditional YouTuber now with uh, the thumbnails. I had to do something. Just you should have because... had a clickbait type header being like, just like Donovan Mitchell throws chair at Cavs press conference. <laughs> <laughs> like Varden. Yeah. Good <laughs> show. Shout out to Joe Varden for coming up with instant trigger posts that just get Cavs fans good vibes thrown out the window. Yeah, like that was, I guess, the question, you know, was something that we should have all anticipated. And he wasn't wrong in asking the question. I just think the headline itself rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And the article, I get like I got what it was trying to say, but it's just those pesky headlines like the clickbait type of stuff, you know. I mean, it could, I feel like it kind of, well, Donovan Mitchell, I I just hope Donovan Mitchell doesn't really come into this. Well, like, obviously, whatever he says at the press conference is like what him and his PR team have probably like been preaching out, being like, all right, send <laughs> this message when you get it. A part of me just really hopes Donovan Mitchell doesn't come into this situation with the Cavs thinking that it's like his team and his identity because it's obviously Darius's. And Darius is like the embodiment of the team. And I could feel like if, if the Cavs team like season, not this season, like next season went like kind of south, I could see it being like, well, whose team is it really? Articles starting to pop up. So, you know, it's just a question that I feel like needs to be asked at some point. I think it will be. And I think that whole methodology is going to be tested this season. I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of adjustment between 
the two, you know, mainly Donovan, because we've seen, we know that Darius has played with another ball dominant guard in Colin Sexton, and the two have shared the court for extended periods of time. Um, Donovan, you know, he's played with some pretty high caliber guards in the past, but um, I think it's pretty safe to say nobody quite like Darius Garland and nobody is ball dominant as Darius Garland. So he will have to adjust to be either being a two, like the two, the number two option or a one A to one B type scenario between those two. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was easy enough to like have your roster be as successful as it looks on paper, a lot of these quote unquote super teams would become uh, more formidable than they have in the past. I mean, when you looked on paper, we'll say like as an example, a few years ago when the Oklahoma city thunder acquired Paul George and Carmelo Anthony with Russell Westbrook, everyone was kind of penciling him in as one of the top teams in the West. And that team got knocked out ironically enough by Donovan (laughs) Mitchell in the first round. So, I mean, things don't necessarily pan out the way that everyone expects. And that what's, that's what makes like the NBA such a cool sport to follow. Nothing's exactly as predictable as most people tend to believe it is. So like as excited I am for this Cavs team, I'm not expecting us to seamlessly walk into the season and walk away being like a top three seed in the East as I see some experts predicting us to be. As you say on paper, this is a very, you know, very talented team, but we've seen that in the past, you know, with Cleveland teams, we've seen that, League wide, I mean, look at Brooklyn right now. They got a, they got a lot of shit to figure out themselves. Uh, but Cleveland, you know, you you think back to the LeBron James teams, especially that first season he came back to town. Slow starts. Um, you know, when you put talent together, or when you're trying to mesh together, uh, you know, big time egos or anything. And and I think Donovan Mitchell, uh, Mitchell, although he said all the right things, and he's continuously said all the right things throughout his career. Make no mistake, I think that guy does have an ego, and uh, I think that's justifiable. I think Darius Garland is starting to develop one, and again, justifiably so, but how is that going to mesh with the other uh, talents on the roster? But, my friend, we came here today to discuss some positions, right? So let's go ahead and dig right in here. (laughs) So we know this is how we're going to break this up. Guards, forwards, big men. I think that's the most apt way to do it because the NBA is continuously moving away from positions as a whole. And we're seeing this whole positionless basketball thing completely take over the NBA for the most regard, uh, most point um, part. Jeez, I can't even get it right tonight. Um, no problem. <laughs> guards, forwards, bigs. So let's start with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. We know these guys are going to start. There's no questions there. I mean, if, what? <laughs> if there was, it would be breaking news. So let's start with DG, man. Uh, a guy who's coming off a career year, 21.7 points per game, uh, 8.6 assists, which for those of you who are maybe a little bit younger, that's the most assists by a non-LeBron James player since Andre Miller back during the 2001-2002 season. And that is the season in which he finished with 10.9 a game. That's a, that's a big deal because, you know, we're so accustomed or we grew so accustomed to seeing LeBron continuously hold the ball in his hands and make all the plays. Darius Garland, man, he he's the next big thing here in Cleveland. Um, you know, not counting Evan Mobley, obviously, but uh, Darius Garland, we know he's submitted at that, that one guard spot, 
he played neither 36 minutes a game last season, and I don't see that changing this year. Um, is there anybody who could actually challenge Darius Garland for being like the the leader on this team? Is is it a Donovan Mitchell? No, I think it's it would be pretty shocking to me if Donovan Mitchell walked in and automatically became like the leader of this Cavs team. Like maybe in terms of like playoff accolades, he's probably like the leader because he's been through like the most challenges of anyone outside of Jared Allen and Kevin Love. Obviously Kevin Love's been the most battle tested, but Kevin Love isn't going to be in the starting lineup and leading the Cavs on the floor. So Donovan would have like, I think, the thing about the Cavs that's kind of unique as compared to other teams is they're so young that it's not necessarily like you're a leader because you're the best player. You're a leader on the Cavs for Darius's case because he not only is like the focal point of the offense and the uh, initiator, but at the same time, he's definitely the emotional leader as well. He has uh gives off the dog energy that the team likes to have he has that underdog mentality i mean we're only a few years removed from darius garland being ranked as one of the worst offense like one of the worst players in the, <laughs> the league worst statistically. in the nba right i mean that kid will definitely carry a chip on his shoulder throughout his entire career based off of that and try to break the mold of what was already predetermined for him after one year in the nba so i think Darius is this is Darius's show. I think in order for the Cavs to truly be successful, it has to stay Darius's show. I don't think the Cavs will benefit from a Donovan Mitchell ball heavy style that like we see in Utah mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, they brought Mike Conley in in Utah to try kind of try to bring the ball off of Donovan Mitchell, but if you look at the percentages of how often Donovan Mitchell held onto the ball, it was up there with like Russell Westbrook type numbers. So that doesn't illustrate, I think, what the Cavs' offense is going to necessarily look like. And if it does, that means they're going to have to stagger their minutes. They can't both be on the floor at the same time if they plan on having them. Of they plan on having Donovan Mitchell be so ball dominant because that will take away from what makes Darius Garland so special. Yeah, I think that's perfectly valid here. Um, I think you don't want to mess up with the chemistry that the, that the team built last season, and I think that's a, a word that a lot of people like to use these days is chemistry. Um, I don't know what the addition of Donovan Mitchell could do to hurt it, but I do know that in terms of the offensive pecking order, um, it's going to be an adjustment period for both of these guys. And speaking of Mitchell, I mean, we're talking about a guy who attempted about 10 threes a game last season, which would have by far led the Cavs. Um, when you take into account the three-point production that you lost from Lowry Markkinen, who took 6.2 uh, from beyond the arc last year, you're going to need every bit of those. And, I mean, you no longer have Ochai Baji coming in to fill a hole. Colin Sexton's out the door, obviously. So you're going to need every bit of what he brings from the table in regards to spacing. Um Three-time All-Star, we know he's going to see uh, the lion's share of the minutes at the two. So, um, you know, those are your two pillars right there. And then it gets a little bit murkier after that. Um, I'm going to kind of make an audible here and not include Ricky Rubio yet just because he's due to miss a good portion of the season. So I'm going to skip right on over him and head to the next guy in line, and that is Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert is quite divisive <laughs> among uh, Cavs fans, isn't he? Um, guy came in and averaged 13.6 points, 3.9 assists, which ain't bad for a two guard. And, uh, you know, shot 43 
and a half percent from the field. But what he really lacked was production from beyond the arc, which is at 31.3 percent in the 19 regular season games he played with the Gaps. Um, my question for you, my friend, is we know that there there was a huge focus on Colin Sexton's contractual situation this season. What? <laughs> Are you <laughs> <And> sure? <laughs> Karis LeVert will soon find himself in similar territory this year. He he has no shortage of questions to answer this season. Can he play off ball? Can he be an, an initiator off the bench if that's the role that he's given? Biggest one. Can the motherfucker stay healthy? <laughs> that is the biggest one right there. So my question for you, bud, is... If you had to just say right now what Karis' role is going to be, what do you think his day, his day one role is going to end up? I feel like the ideal Karis LeVert role is for him to be the sixth man off the bench. I just can't see a world in which three guards are going to be in the starting lineup. You don't like the three-guard lineups? <laughs> I just don't like the idea that three ball-dominant guards are going to need to be on the floor at the same time. That's just a recipe for someone's going to get pissed off and play infinitely worse. And I hate to break it to Karis LeVert. It's probably going to be Karis LeVert. Because if I had to, if I was the coaching staff of the Cavs and I had to be like, mm, who, who, who should we appease more, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, or Karis LeVert? I don't think Karis LeVert's name is going to get thrown out once in that conversation amongst the staff. I think Karis LeVert will thrive most being off the bench where he can be like a Jordan Clarkson type, for example, for you, like what Utah was looking for when Donovan Mitchell was off the floor. I think Karis LeVert has times where I'm really impressed by his vision. I think there's other times with Karis LeVert where I feel like he has tunnel vision and only looks for himself because that's just the way he was. He became the player who he is in the NBA. I don't blame him for needing to do that because, you know, at some point, players need to be selfish for themselves in order to get a, their name out there and become like a recognizable thing. I mean, how many teammates out there are out there being like, you know what? I love playing with Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I love playing with a guy who loves to shoot the ball. Hey, 20 maybe times. Uh, uh, Joe Ingles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joe Ingles is like, man, I love watching Jordan Clarkson shoot. It's wonderful. I just love standing in the corner. Yeah, no, it's like if the Cavs had those three starting line, like as their starting lineup, I could see a situation in which Darius and Donovan are like, wait, is Karis shooting the ball like 15 times? Like, when am I going to get the ball? I want to shoot it 15 times. And then one of them will be like, I also want to shoot the ball 15 times. And that's just going to be an awkward situation. I think Karis needs to be, in order for him to be the most successful, he has to be as far separated from the other two guards at the same time as possible. <laughs> you make it sound so just horrible. Uh, no, no, no. I think he can be successful. Ricky Rubio, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell lineups. <laughs> well, if everyone like here's the thing about Karis LeVert. Like for the longest time, you and I were discussing how Karis LeVert is like a worse version of Colin Sexton. I'm not going to hide from that. We did definitely say that. And, and now I still believe that. And now I'm under, I feel like we're both in the same belief that Donovan Mitchell is a much better overall player than Colin Sexton is. So now explain to me why we need to have the massive <laughs> drop off between Donovan Mitchell and Karis Levert. I feel like we now have a more staggering difference of the same archetype. And I don't need three of those types of players on the floor, not to mention the defensive issues that would cause would just be way too much for this Cavs team. I think there's too many issues by putting Karis Levert at the three hypothetically, but obviously I could be proven wrong and I'm not here saying that I'm a coach in the league. So, you know, 
That was just my two cents. Oh, man. No, there's no pushback there. I mean, we're completely in agreement about that. It is like the optimal role for Karis, and this might be the best spot he's ever played in, uh, to be honest with you. That's that's at least my opinion. That's my takeaway. This might be his most optimal role that he's ever been in, is to be the sixth man for this team. Fun fact for you guys out there, Karis LeVert saw – 30 or more minutes in nine of his 19 appearances for the Cavs last season. I do not think that stays the same this year. I think you're probably going to end up keeping Karras around 26 to 28 minutes a game um, as your sixth man, as your primary guy, at least until Ricky Rubio gets back. And hell, maybe maybe even after that, depending upon how Rubio looks. I but, think that will be an interesting thing to see is how the Ricky Rubio situation filters out. Like who's the true six man. Cause I feel like there's three players on this Cavs team that could be that six man. It could be Kevin, it could be Karis or it could be Ricky Rubio. And it just oh, like the only yeah. way Kevin love is thrown into the rotation of he's the six man is because Kevin loves on fire. Like we saw many different situations last year where Kevin love was like, ballistic from the three-point line and that get, gave him the minutes he needed but as you and i both know jb is not afraid to yank kevin love if he is shooting like oh for six and that's oh, it. it happened in the play-in games uh at a certain point i forget which one but we've definitely seen that but like even last season had ricky rubio not gone down ricky rubio is probably the running up for the six man of the year he, hell he might even won six man of the year and we're not even talking about kevin love as the, the as the runner up but that just shows you the importance of kevin Still, uh, we don't know what Rubio is going to look like when he gets back. But I like I, too, I want to see the dynamic between Karis and Ricky, uh, what that will look like, who has the ball in their hands. I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that we're going to want to see Rubio with the ball in his hands uh, more often than not off the bench as that initiator. Um, and, and that just begs the question, can Karis LeVert play effectively off ball, even if it's in the second unit? So um, there, there's just a lot of unanswered questions for him that he's going to have to figure it out on the fly really quickly because this is a contract year for him. Um, and like I said before, we saw Colin, you know, enter a pretty tough negotiating period uh, with the Cavs and Karis could soon be doing the same if they don't outright, you know, say, well, <laughs> go get money somewhere else or trade in midseason, uh, which I don't see happening. But um that's that's your your third guard right now as of now and then next up is uh how netto uh which in my opinion was one of the more underrated and perhaps underappreciated acquisitions this offseason um Corey, how many times in in previous seasons did we see the Cavs really be hurt by not having a true backup point guard <laughs> and 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 we know like um how Neto is not what you would consider like a, a a star level point guard at all. He's not Ricky Rubio, but he's definitely a better option than Brandon Goodwin or uh, RJ Nimhart. That's a stiff competition. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the thing with how Neto is that he just is a stabilizer. I mean, it was nice to have like when Rondo last season was at his peak of play, it felt nice to know that you had a solid option at backup point guard. I mean, the thing about Rondo is that you'd be very happy if he took a, like if he made a three. The thing about Rondo was he was willing to take threes a little too often for my liking. Halu <laughs> um, Neto just feels like a stabilizer on the floor. Like he kind of feels like a small step below of what Ricky Rubio was going to bring to the table because Ricky Rubio last season was still a starting level point guard at 
like the middle tier of point guards in the NBA. But at the same time, like having that come off your bench is such a valuable asset. How Neto is like a slight step below that where he's not in the Tyus Jones level of backup point guard where you're stoked that you have the ability to have him as your backup point guard. But how Neto is going to really raise the floor for the bench unit because we see a lot of times last year that the Cavs really struggled when Darius Garland was off the floor. It kind of felt like a miniature version of LeBron from like the mid 2000s. That's when a you- nice way of putting it. <laughs> It's just like when Darius came off the floor, you felt like, all right, I needed to know how this offense is going to operate because Darius was the like if he was the spoon that stirs the drink when he was off the floor, the drink just and the cup just fell over and the water was just pouring everywhere else (laughs) because at times you were just like, what is happening? There was like shots being taken with two seconds left on the shot clock. A lot of just ball holding. It was ridiculous. I, I think Howell Neto is going to be very valuable. I think we'll definitely see his value very immediately. And I think I'm more interested to know when Ricky Rubio comes back, what if Howell Neto will still see some minutes because while the Cavs are definitely struggling for who is probably going to play the three minutes a lot, I think we're very deep at the guard position when Rubio comes back. We have a lot of different choices and a lot of different ways we can throw out lineups so I'm excited to see what the Cavs staff decides to do from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, literally, that's five different guys who could probably all see time. Well, at least we know two of your two, if not three, of your players will see time there in Karis, DG, and Donovan. Neto and Rubio, um, it's kind of a toss-up by the time Rubio comes back. I'd have to think that based upon what the Cavs saw out of Rubio last season, that they would be probably uh, more willing to play him over Neto if it really came down to it. And Neto is really kind of your insurance policy kind of guy. And I'm okay with that, but that's not to say that Neto couldn't have like a a really good start to the season in the Cavs just for the sake of chemistry and uh, you know, lineup consistency opt to give him or keep him within the rotation, but that takes away from other guys opportunities who are deserving too. Um, So it'll be definitely interesting to see that. And, I think at this point in time, that kind of rounds out what you kind of have out of your like NBA level um, <clears throat> competition in regards to that. I'm not factoring in a guy like RJ Nimhard because I, <laughs> I just fail to see any scenario outside of injuries that he'll actually see meaningful time. You weren't impressed by his uh, summer league? <laughs> Um, man, uh, there were, you know, me, I was way more impressed with a guy like Lou Travers or, well, weren't we all that's uh Cleveland's darling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'll take Lou Travers at the three right now. <laughs> I, I, I take him on the NBA roster for sure. I don't know. The three right now. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to the guard of uh, the forwards here. So, and some of these guys are kind of interchangeable and, and could line up at the, at at least the two. Um, you know, kind of interchangeable due to their size and us seeing them play the two before. So I'm going to start off with Isaac Okoro, who, you know, we know this is a big year for Cares. Uh, this is a huge year for <laughs> Isaac. Um, and in the past two seasons, we saw third year leaps from Colin Sexton and then an all star leap from Darius Garland. Um, will that be the case for Isaac? It's possible. Uh, but we do need to keep in mind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's bump the brakes. <laughs> Let me just finish. 
it's possible, but we do have to keep in mind that, you know, his breakout could look a hell of a lot different. Um, we, we know, man, that Colin and DG are ball dominant guards to say the least. <laughs> Okoro is by no means that. And so he'll likely have to further hone his off ball usefulness this upcoming year. Oh, that's um, it? <laughs> I mean, that's no, all he has to hone. How about having more. a respectable three-point yes, jump? That was, that's volume. what I was going into. He's got to become a viable threat in catch-and-shoot situations, and he's got to, you know, cut when he's needed, and, and along with bringing his pesky burn in defense. So there's a lot that he has to do. Um, but a breakout is not unfathomable. But my question for you is this. As of right now, if you rolled into game one with Isaac Okoro as your starter at the three, are you okay with that? Are you are you comfortable starting Isaac Okoro at the three as of right now? I have been struggling with this question for multiple weeks, pretty much. I I would be fine with Isaac being the three, but I want Isaac Okoro to be the first person taken off the floor when the buzzer is rung for subs. <laughs> so you want him to be this year's Colin Sexton? I would honestly rather... I've decided I would rather have Dean Wade start at the three than have Isaac Okoro. Just for the continuity of the big three, so the de- like big three lineup, so mm-hmm. that the defensive part stays intact. I think Isaac would... I think I know and I understand that Isaac Okoro went from a situation in which Mac and I were talking about a month ago being like, man... Isaac's in a perfect spot now. He's on the bench. He's he thrived in this role at the beginning of the year when his when the expectations were not astronomical for him. And now he's like in the conversation with, well, I like you see on all these ESPN graphics for starting five, the Isaac's name is just thrown in there Very off the bat. Man is the like the de facto three. I think that's what that is. Yeah. And I'm just like, I I just with the way it's weird with this Cavs lineup because I feel like with Isaac Okoro being in the starting five defensively, it makes sense. But offensively, you now have three non shooters pretty much and two shooters. And that <laughs> is not threatening at all for de- opposing defenses. Like, yes, our guard combination is pretty, it's, it's an elite scoring duo. But no one's going to be quaking in their boots when Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen are on the floor and they're like, oh, man. So they're just only going to attack the rim because that's like what the three of them pretty much do. I mean, Evan Mobley, I, I, you, you and I have seen the offseason workout videos. He's been expanding his range. But at the same time, beautiful, man, it's, it's Kevin Durant-esque. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's just calm down. <laughs> I I. I expect Isaac to take a jump. I just don't know if that jump is going to translate into him becoming the starting, like that he should be the starting three. I think Isaac is going to make the transition to being a very good contributor for a winning team. Now I'm not saying that needs to be offensively, but I would hope that his offensive game takes a step. I'd rather it take a step than stay neutral. I don't need it to take a massive step forward to like a year three jump, like Colin or Darius, because it's completely different types of players. So if Isaac could just become more well-rounded, that makes him the most valuable in my mind that I realistically think he's going to be. Okay. I think that is fair. I think, like I was saying, the breakout for Isaac could look a lot different if it does happen. Um, And in terms of statistics, it could be just 
in the form of a modest increase to his scoring, like three to four more points per game. Um, and I think that's totally viable if he is able to shoot with a higher volume from range. Um, I think that's really the biggest building block for him is becoming a a true threat or at least a respectable threat from range. And then you could really talk about him having that type of breakout or being effective as your starting three. But um, he's not the only option in town. Uh, Lamar Stevens, <laughs> a guy who truly embodies the junkyard dog mentality that Cleveland brought to the table often last season. And we, he too, the only thing really holding him back is the lack of a consistent three point shot. That 27.7% from range is not scaring anybody. And that's, um, you know, we, we're talking about Isaac and Isaac shot 35% from range on low volume. Uh, Lamar shot with even lower volume. Dude took just one three a game and and converted 27.7% of them. So uh, we know he's got the defense. We know he's got the mid-range game. That's never been a question. That dates back all the way to Penn State. Uh, but do you think he could actually push Isaac for the three? I – it's weird. My The way I go mentally back and forth on who I like more between Okoro and Lamar Stevens is just a never-ending roller coaster for me. I, I find myself all the time just falling in love with the idea of Lamar Stevens being the three of this Cavs team just because I, I, I feel like I, it's more to benefit Isaac because I think Isaac would benefit more from being a complimentary player than being in the starting five. I feel like Lamar is one of those players that I would feel comfortable with him coming off the bench or being in the starting five because I think he's one of those players that doesn't get shaken by – poor offensive production early. I feel like Isaac, if he sees that his shots aren't falling shuts down. Whereas Lamar, like I think about that Lakers game in particular last season when he was atrocious. Why are you going to pick the the man's worst game out? No, but I'm saying like he most, like I feel like if Isaac had that same exact game, we would not see like the same aggressiveness that we continue to see from Lamar Stevens. Like Isaac, like for example, had that great game against Philadelphia last season. And we kind of both were like, all right. And we keep coming back to that to make us feel better. I know. No, we were like, we thought that was like the sign that this team, like he was going to take a step forward offensively because everyone was injured. We thought maybe Isaac was going to step into like that secondary scorer role. And as you and I both know, that's not how the story was written. And in the playoffs, teams just had, we had to pull him because he, we were basically playing four on five offensively and the shots weren't going down. So we weren't punishing them, not respecting his shot. So at the end of the day, I, I, I mean, honestly, I can't fathom a world in which Jetty Osmond starts because defensively, that would just be the worst case scenario of any of the choices. Isaac's the worst case. Isaac and Lamar are both not great choices offensively. And that's why I keep finding myself at the Dean Wade at the three, because he's like the, the, the easy, no risk situation out of all of the choices. I feel like we have. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about Dean. You know, what can we say that we haven't already said about Dean on the true and official Dean Wade podcast? Chase down. You're on notice. <laughs> Thanks for having us on, though. <laughs> <laughs> on the official Dean Wade pod. I mean, uh, the premier Dean Wade pod. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, for real, not enough people really uh, took into account the loss of uh, Dean Wade last season and what that actually meant 
to the Cavs and how that affected them, especially defensively. Like, or how it affected us. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can't tell me, uh, Corey, that Dean wouldn't have been impactful in those playing games in, in some capacity. Um, I think that he definitely would have been a body that you could have thrown out there that would legitimately, you know, at least he would have been impactful defensively on a guy like Kevin Durant or, um, you know, you're throwing him out there to make life a little bit more difficult uh, against Atlanta. Um, And so the loss of him was big time. Um, Dean, if you're talking about him in terms of starting this season, he does, as you alluded to earlier at six, nine, he would keep tall ball intact. Um, that mentality to a degree, we know he can space the floor. Um, and he did so with decent enough volume to inspire confidence that he could, you know, continue to keep that rolling. I don't know about providing like the, the six plus attempts that Lowry did, but certainly a serviceable from range. Um, probably the best shooter, probably not even probably. I'm going to take that word out. He is the best shooter of that bunch if you're factoring in Isaac Lamar, uh, <clears throat> Jetty. Well, no, not Jetty. Isaac yeah, no, I was going to say, Jetty on <laughs> we'll his best night is the best shooter on the yeah. Cavs. We'll keep that to just Lamar and Isaac, but he's the best shooter out of that trio. Um, he did start 28 games last season, so we've seen him. Um, the question really just, can he, one, stay healthy, two, can he be consistent? So, and, and, and three, does JB have enough confidence to really pull Isaac in favor of Dean? Uh, big question. Uh, you already mentioned Jetty, so I guess we'll go ahead and, uh, you know, talk about that and go down that rabbit hole real quick. Uh, we've already gotten the full Jetty Osmond experience, I feel. Um, we know that when he was in the game last season or when the Caps opted to play him, it was because they wanted to space the floor. And it, to the most part, it, it worked um, to the tune of 35%, oh, 35.7% on his three-point attempts and with good volume, too. 5.4 per game and only 22.2 minutes per game. So we know it can work. Just doesn't need to work in a starting lineup. <laughs> uh, defensively, it would be a disaster. <laughs> Damn, absolutely. I think JB would legitimately have a stroke if Jetty Osmond was in the starting lineup on opening night. That's the only way. JB would have to be locked away in a different stadium in order for Jetty Osmond to be the starter on opening tip. The only the only scenario in which Jetty I like Jetty starting is at the two on an injure you know a very injured Cavs team. That's the only time I would be okay with Jetty starting this season, considering the talent that we already have in town. But Mac, this is very controversial for you because I seem to remember last season <laughs> Mac was the guy tooting the point Jetty the point Jetty range. Off the bench, though. You can't have Boy Jetty off the bench. (laughs) Last season, you could. And two seasons ago, you definitely could when the Cavs didn't have a true point guard. Look. We played him at starting point guard against, like, New Orleans, I think, last season. (laughs) And he had 12 assists. (laughs) Yeah, my point. Mac is, like, just here being like, oh, man, Jetty can't be a starting player. But yet I wanted him being starting point guard. A spot starter. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. And, And... uh, you know, Jetty, like I said, we've seen the full Jetty experience now, and I think he works best as a reserve shooter off the bench. Um, I mean, we, we heard all day long last year that, oh, man, he played really well with Ricky Rubio. Well, guess what? Ricky Rubio's not playing for almost half the <laughs> So Jetty's going to suck for half the year, so get ready. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it's exactly what Corey said. 
Yeah. <laughs> Love Just you, Jenny. Thanks for listening because you totally uh, are. Next up here is a guy who probably doesn't factor in at all, but I'm still going to mention him um, because I theoretically, and you know what I'm going to say, theoretically, hypothetically, whatever uh, adjective or I don't know, what did you want to throw in front of that? Dylan Windler. Dylan Windler is a guy who, after being selected 26th overall back in the 2019 draft, a lot of people had confidence that he could develop into a 3 and D player. Hasn't happened yet. And most of that is due to confidence issues. So the ironic part about Dylan Windler is that the part that has shown the most in NBA footage is his defensive effort versus his offensive effort, which when he was drafted, you thought we were going to just get another typical white guy shooter that was just going to ballistically shoot (laughs) from the three point line. Hashtag white guy shooters. (laughs) Hashtag hashtag 2K archetype white guy shooter. (laughs) Oh man, that just something about that doesn't sound right. Oh uh, well, you know, if you want to have a mind like that, Max. Sorry, I think PG. <laughs> unlike some people who like to look at the dark part of the world. Oh on. man, listen, Dylan Windler is is not a shooter. He's an enigma <laughs> because theoretically, on paper, you know, coming out of Belmont, it looked like it was going to work, and it's possible like with very small percentage it's still possible that after this trade and you know roster spots open and potential paths to minutes at, at some capacity if injury occurs that Dylan Windler could finally start to show a semblance of an offensive game um but that remains unseen at this point and his chances are almost dried up at this point so Mac in your opinion what is more likely that Isaac Okoro becomes the all-star that you predict he's going to be, or that Dylan Windler becomes an average NBA player. First off, I didn't predict <laughs> no fucking Isaac Okoro all-star breakout. Uh, second of all, um, if I had to, the gun to my head, if I had to answer that question, it's you do love these shooter type questions. Yeah. More like gun to my head, Dylan Windler. For sure, because it's not a lot, it's not a high bar. <laughs> We're talking about Isaac Coyle taking a leap from uh role player to all-star. That's a big leap. Um, the the gap between fringe NBA player <laughs> to <laughs> to um average NBA player or average, you know, low-end role player. I don't know what what kind of fucking term you want to throw in front of that, but it's obviously Dean uh <laughs> it's obviously Dylan Moore. We just can't get Dean off the mind, all right? <laughs> DW, right? DW. Um, <clears throat> next up here is the big man group. There's really not a lot to talk about here because it's kind of locked in. I mean, you're, you're Robin top- Lopez and Isaiah Mobley. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> <laughs> Evan Mobley is your uh, is your four. You know, for the foreseeable future, as of right now, the rookie of the year runner up got robbed is going to be entrenched there for years unless something unforeseen happens with Jared Allen. Um, and then Jared Allen, you know, the, the, the key to this defense, in my opinion right now, who doesn't get enough respect on that end. Like um, in my opinion, Evan Mobley's like switchability definitely overshadows Jared Allen's ability to rim protect and to step out in, um, you know, limit players, in the uh, on the perimeter, um, we talk a lot about Evan Mobley's switchability, but not enough about 
Jared Allen's like true all around defensive game. And so he, he really is the, the guy on the defensive end who, who leads the way. And so those two guys are locks. There's no real controversy there at all. Um, your, your third big off the bench could be interesting this season. Um, it's not really up for debate at this point in time, just because Kevin Love is coming off of a, um, a six man of the year runner up season. Um, that's, that's a big deal. And he played the most games in five years. Um, so that's huge accomplishment for him when everybody kind of writ him off and wanted him shipped out of town. Um, not this guy. <laughs> I count myself among that bunch. Like I was ready to throw Kevin Love to the wolves. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, and that, that completely his season last season was showed just how vital spacing is in that uh, secondary unit. So you definitely need Kevin Love to have another big gear, especially when you're losing the amount of space in the Cavs lost out of the front court. Um, and then you get to your, your second big off the bench, Robin Lopez, who uh, my question for you is, do you consider like, do you think Robin Lopez will play often? Or do you think he's more so like an injury kind of replacement kind of guy? I think it might Ed be Davis role. I think it might be situational. I think he's much more useful than Ed Davis in the sense that he's not basically a coach off the bench. We brought him in to play valuable minutes. Because How dare we, you? We basically found out last year when Ed Davis stepped on the floor. Like I, the the funniest part about Ed Davis ever playing starting minutes at center was Twitter being like, "Oh wow, Ed Davis can move. That's cool." <laughs> like if that's the, that's the bar that we set for M. Davis to like be a, a plus on the floor. Robin Lopez still has gas in the tank. He has shown that throughout many seasons in a row. I mean, I think it's gonna be situational in the sense that if we're looking like for a big body to throw out there against some of the burlier. Yeah, I think I think him and Kevin's minutes are kind of going to feed off of each other, depending on what the situation asks for. If we need more of a floor spacer and more of an offensive punch, we're probably going to go towards Kevin. But if we need more of a defensive type center, not that Robin Lopez is necessarily known more for his defense, but the bar of being a better defender than Kevin Love is very low. (laughs) (laughs) And I love Kevin Love as much as the next guy, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, man, Kevin Love top-notch defender at the power forward position. Him and Jetty are pretty close in my eyes in defensive ability, which is not a compliment to Kevin Love in the slightest. But I think with JB, he's going to tend to probably... he, Like I said before, he's quick to yank Kevin if he's not performing well. So I think Robin Lopez, I see him probably always playing around like 10 to 15 minutes a game. Do you think that will happen when the roster is at full strength, though? That's the big question. Like Rubio's returned, and uh, you know, and I think if when Rubio returns, it's more going to be the guards' minutes that are going to mm-hmm. get tinkered with. I would say Howell Neto and Karis Levert's minutes are going to probably be the most affected in that in that case. Versus Robin Lopez' minutes are probably going to be determined by how many, like in. Like the last quarter of the year, I don't know if the Cavs necessarily, if they're pushing for a playoff position, are going to want to play Mobley and Allen 32-plus minutes a game. And that's where Robin Lopez will truly provide a lot of his value as well as being that refreshing boost while also maintaining the health of our two players that, let's face it, for the majority of last year, were alternating injuries. Yeah, so I think that's the biggest factor in the Cavs' upcoming season. It's to me is health. Um, obviously we have to, that see was the big it. factor last year too. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about a team that could have very well finished as a top three seed in the East had they not suffered so many injuries. Um, it also could have altered the breakouts of certain players. We already know all about that, and we're not going to jump into it. But we know that these are things that all you know impact NBA teams at some level. Health is always going to be something that teams are going to struggle with down the stretch. Um, rarely does a team stay fully healthy, if at all. Um, so Cleveland's got some questions to answer there. But last but not least are – yeah, so the 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 two way guys at this point in time, which I believe are R.J. Nimhard and Isaiah Mobley, um, and I I'm gonna skip over Jamarco Piggott. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, who who was recently signed, I believe, to a, a training camp deal? I'm not gonna yeah. be incorrect. Um, we're not gonna talk about him just yet. We'll save that for the like the the wine and gold scrimmage, um, you know, time. Yeah. But um, Isaiah Mobley. And RJ Nimhart. If you had to pick a scenario, or if you had to choose one who you think is going to see the court more often this season, which one? Isaiah Mobley. I think that Why? the I just think that there's too much depth in the position. Like RJ Nimhart doesn't stretch the floor. He's not an aggressive, he's more of a rim attacking type player. He's more of a guard than he necessarily is a forward in terms of his skill set. And as I said prior, I think the Cavs have more than enough options at those guard type positions and ball handlers that I don't see a situation in which RJ Nemhard is going to provide a value more so than Isaiah Mobley because let's say there's a situation where one of the two bigs gets injured or they need to rest. I think it's that's more likely that we need to put in Isaiah Mobley to just give him some minutes to be a backup, kind of take that Robin Lopez role while Robin Lopez fills the gap of one of the two starting spots or Kevin either, or I just think there's a lot more opportunity for Isaiah than there is for RJ Nemhard. And I could be a little biased because I feel like I'm a lot lower on RJ Nemhard than the, the majority of Cavs fans seem to be with his terms of his promise, because I, I feel like now with Luke Travers, I'd rather have Luke Travers than have RJ Nemhard because they're kind of like the same type of player. I'd rather have Khalifa Diop than have uh, R.J. Barrett. No, you know, don't. Oh, R.J. Barrett. Oh, oh, not R.J. <laughs> yeah, Barrett. hot take from Mac. Luke Traver is greater than R.J. Barrett. <laughs> than R.J. Who needs Donovan Mitchell when you got Luke Travers? Says every Knicks fan ever. <laughs> every episode. Every episode is a blunder. Every episode, I slip up somewhere. Um, but yes, uh, I, I kind of agree with that just because you have like literally at full strength, literally five guards who are, who could be viable, uh, options to, to see game time. RJ Nimhard just does not, uh, fit in there anywhere. So it's outside of an injury replacement on the roster. I just don't see it happening at the, in the big leagues. Um, Isaiah Mobley could you know feasibly see the game uh, a couple of games this season in regards to possible injuries or keeping guys fresh and just to get him some real NBA action um I'm very interested to see the dynamic there between him and his brother I'd love to see a lineup feature both uh we saw it at USC we could definitely see it in Cleveland um that's gonna do it guys I mean we went down from top to bottom I believe um there still could be some changes made uh, we could see another move happen between now and start of the season. But if this is what the Cavs have to work with, I'm okay with that. Um, I guess my last question for you, my friend, is um, if no other moves are made, are you uh, 
Are you feeling confident about the Cavs' chances to contend this season? When you say contend, are you saying for a top four seed? Uh, I feel like we're fringe right now. I think, especially with, like I said before, I think the continuity is going to be an issue. I think that it's going to take time to gel. So I, I wouldn't be surprised over our first 20 games if we, like, not looking at the schedule and picking win loss for each one. I wouldn't be surprised if we're like 12 and 8 to start the year, like 11 and 9, something slow like that, just because it takes time to adjust. I mean, this is a huge difference to what the Cavs need to do overall it takes a it's it's gonna be a lot to see how Darius and Donovan ad, adjust to needing to share the ball so frequently like this isn't a Mike Conley Donovan Mitchell situation or a Colin Sexton Darius Garland situation like this is completely different this is two play two all-star level guards that have both accomplished various accolades in their career that now need to, to figure out how they're going to gel specifically and they haven't played with another player that's to the level of what they expect when they step on the floor on opening night. Amen. I couldn't put it uh, any better myself. And with that being said, guys, as we always tell you, if you'd like to reach out to us directly, you can on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more at it's Cavalier underscore pod. If you want to be added to the exclusive it's Cavalier discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of set a review or rating to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com. And we'll send you an invite. With that said, go caps.